Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. A reading from 1 Timothy, beginning at the third chapter. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in all the world, taken up in glory." Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. O Lord, have mercy on us. Help me prepare for tonight's sermon by confessing with me the Apostles' Creed, and it's found in the front cover of the hymnal. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Christianity is a confessional religion. We confess something. To confess from the Greek homo logeo literally means to same say, to say the same thing. Paul says in today's reading that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. That means that we are echoing this truth down through the ages. What truth? With whom do we agree and say the same thing and speak in unison? It's with God Himself. We echo His Word and His truth. And we can do that because He Himself has spoken to us and spoken to us in words. We cannot emphasize this fact enough. Paul says in our today's text that uh, we confess the mystery of godliness. And he doesn't mean by that that we are saying something that's really unknown to us, that humans can only guess about. No. He means that we are able to speak and even to repeat something that no human can find on their own, but that only God can reveal and that He has revealed it. Thus, we must confess this truth precisely because 
This truth cannot be computed, it cannot be studied, it cannot be observed or grasped by any other means other than the Word of God and faith in it. God is not our own creation. He's not our own discovery. But He has stepped in to reveal Himself to us. He has sent His prophets to speak of Him. He has sent His apostles as eyewitnesses of Him. And most of all, at the center, He has sent Jesus Christ in the flesh. And we believe and we teach and we confess this revealed mystery. Tonight we are considering the second part of the Catechism, the Creed, the second of six truths that are Christianity. Now a creed is a statement of belief. The word comes from Latin credo, which means I believe. But what you do with creeds is not believe them, you confess creeds. You say the same thing. What you say and what you do ought to match your beliefs. That's true whether you're a Christian or not. Likewise, what you say and do also ought to match those who came before you and those who come after you in this faith. Confessing also distinguishes you from some, even as it expresses your agreement with others. Because when you confess, you're making a statement. You are standing firm on what is true. You're also rejecting those things that are false. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do not believe, therefore, in more than one God. We do not believe in any other God either. Now, there are some who reject the use of creeds because of this very thing. They, like the, they don't like the church saying no to anyone. But the problem with that is you just cannot have a structure without limiting. Nor can you really have a family without some limiting. A house with no dimensions, with no foundation, no roof. Sorry to be taboo, but also no walls. That is no house at all. Likewise, Christ's church is to be both a house and a household of God. We are to be well-defined and we are to be sturdy, standing up, lasting, like a building that is well-built. Now, at the end of tonight's text, Paul says this. He says, The Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some are going to depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And by no means is this the only place in the New Testament where Christ or His apostles warn us about false teachers. Nor is that warning only something that pastors like Timothy or I need to care about. No. Truth must be distinguished and it must be defended against the opposite of it. Anti-truth. Lies, we call them. Truth, in fact, is the best defense to a lie as even our own legal system recognizes. And that's what our creeds and our confessions are. 
The creeds and confessions of our church came about through many struggles against false teachings. They're the defenses and the conclusions that resulted from times when false teachings were attacking the true teachings of the Scriptures in the church, particularly the teachings about the Holy Trinity, about the incarnation of Jesus, and about the means and method of our salvation by Christ alone. The church is in fact stronger and sturdier in her confession today because of these difficult battles for the truth. It is like bones that grow stronger when kids wrestle with each other and get scrapes and bruises and thereby become hardened and prepared for life. Now there are also those who would be very mad to hear this sermon tonight because they don't want a preacher preaching about the creed because they recognize that creeds themselves, the ones that we confess, are not actually quotes from the Bible. Unlike last week, unlike the coming week in the Lord's Prayer, those are quotes straight out of the Bible. But you won't find the Apostles or the Nicene or the Athanasian creeds quoted in the Bible. Therefore, they say, Creeds are human things. They're human traditions that somebody is trying to add to the Bible. And they say that they want no creed except the Bible. But you see, that statement itself is a creed. It's a statement of belief. And the problem that we have with it is it's a particularly useless creed. Because the Bible is rather unwieldy to use as your confession of faith. If I were to come up to you and say, hey, what is it that you believe? And you would say, well, I believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. I mean, my Bible on tape lasts for over 11 hours. We're going to be here a long time if that is the only creed I have. No, the creeds are not additions to the Bible, Thank God they are summaries of it that we could actually sit and listen to in one sitting. Great indeed, we confess, Paul says, is the mystery of godliness. Now, Christianity, of course, cannot be exhausted in three little paragraphs about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, Christianity even is not really limited to those six things like we're talking about from the Catechism this Lent. Of course, our faith is great, it's deep, it's rich truth. It's like that amazing cathedral of Notre Dame in Chartres, France, that was built over multiple centuries, an absolute crowning achievement of Christianity that still stands to this day. But our faith, our truth, is a truth that can be confessed, expressed, and can be told, yes, even in one sitting. And then as a result, it's something into which you can keep on growing your whole life through, because as Paul says, this mystery is indeed great. So you have a great treasure in these creeds as a result. You know and you possess that treasure. You can carry it around with you in your pocket, in your mind, and on your heart. You have a simple form of something that is committed to memory even, a way of explaining and of telling 
to others what it is that you believe. Now, just like the no creed but the Bible example, it'd also be a little silly if you walked up to people and just started reciting off to them the Apostles or the Nicene Creed, or reciting the whole catechism and asking yourselves the questions. But the point is, you have the skeleton if you have those things. You have the outline. You have the summary. You have a true confession that can be made and confessed over and over again. Now, Paul, in tonight's text, gives us another creed. It's not one that we recite in church together or have memorized. If you want to, in fact, see the direct origins of the three creeds that we do confess today, you can look at 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll recognize these words right away. But tonight, Paul gives us this little summary and this little saying to Timothy, and I think it's almost as good as what we say. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You see, Paul zooms right into the most important thing because the he in this little saying of St. Paul is no mystery to us. It's Jesus Christ. It's God, yes, but God manifested in the flesh. That means revealed. The word is epiphany, just like our season of epiphany, the season that looks at Jesus with His miracles and the evidence of His divine nature come in the flesh. The mystery of God is now made graspable in Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that we call the incarnation, the enfleshment of God in Christ. And it's the reason that we are not called Godists or Spiritism or some other name, but we are called Christians who believe and practice Christianity because Christ is the center of it all. God manifested in the flesh. Paul says he was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, that's a bit mysterious, I admit. But you know the whole story as our creeds tell it. How Jesus suffered falsely under Pontius Pilate. How He was crucified. How He died and He was buried. Christ was put to death as a sinner. He was hanged like a criminal between two other criminals. More than that, the Bible says that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That means that that was quite a miscarriage of justice for the innocent Son of God to be hanged as a curse. To have Jesus die for crimes that He didn't commit. Except, of course, that that is what the Father sent Him to do. His death was precisely for the crimes that you and I committed. The sins which the Ten Commandments from last week reveal as no mystery in us at all. This is why a vindication was necessary. To show that Jesus was not dying as a sinner and a criminal suffering his own punishment, but rather that his death was died for the sins of others. Died, in fact, to satisfy their punishment as a substitute and a sacrifice. And the vindication of Jesus is the resurrection. Peter says a very similar creedal statement in his first letter to the church. He says, Christ also suffered once for sins, 
He, the righteous, for us, the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Thus, this little statement that God, Christ, was vindicated by the Spirit, it encompasses the entire saving act of Jesus, His suffering, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. This risen Christ was seen by angels. True enough, we know about the literal heavenly angels that were mentioned there at the tomb and who also appeared to the disciples at His ascension. But what I think Paul has in mind here is that other meaning of the word angel because the word angel means messenger, just like the word evangel, evangelical, that's gospel, comes from the same thing, the good news, the good message. So, who are these messengers who saw Him? Well, the key eyewitnesses who saw Jesus risen from the dead aren't really the angels for us, but they are the apostles. They are the eyewitnesses sent out to proclaim Him among the nations so that He might be believed on in the world, even here in North Dakota. And thus, this Jesus Christ who is taken up into glory, that is ascended 40 days after His resurrection, we remember that He who is taken up from us into heaven will return in the same way as He ascended. That's it. The creed is the summary of our faith. In particular, it's the summary of the gospel, that good news, good message that is the heart of our life, which we believe and which we confess. The gospel is totally different from the law, which we heard about last Wednesday. The gospel is not a matter of what you and I are expected to do and thus what we leave undone or misdone. In fact, the gospel is not a command at all but it is a promise. It is a message of what God in Christ has done for us to forgive us and to save us. Christ has done this in our place. He is vindicated as an acceptable sacrifice to God, a holy and innocent and righteous one, and thus those who trust in Him are declared holy and innocent and righteous in Him. That is what we mean when we say He has forgiven our sins and saved us. Our discipline, dear Christians, now in Lent and always, is that we be confessors of this saving truth. Our church, yes, the building, the pillars and the buttresses we have here, they exist only for the sake of gathering together the confessors each of us together as a true church, that we be assembled like pillars and buttresses around the saving truth of God's Word, which we repeat and which we love and which we continue to let sound forth forever. Great indeed is this mystery of godliness. And may God restore to us the joy of this salvation and make you and I bold confessors of His saving gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Thank you for listening to the Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com and if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org. That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen. Amen.